Welcome to the Springforth Podcast, a ministry of the First Congregational Church of McGregor Island. This recording has been made for November 29th, 2020, the first Sunday of Advent. Good morning. All right, so we are in a new season now, in our Advent season, first Sunday of Advent today. And you'll notice, and I'm glad that the Grady's are here, we have a new Advent wreath. Compliments of William Grady. Bill, why don't you tell us about the new, the new design and, and Give us some ins and outs as to what your inspiration was. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> You've been hanging out with Myron now. <laughs> I saw on a similar to it in one of my craft magazines. And that's why I thought we needed a different one. And we did a one with kind of shaky and Well, thank you very much. This is um, a wonderful addition to the new Advent candles that we have. We've been moving from our oil candles to a more high-tech version. So Advent Wreath 2.0 has arrived. <laughs> Just after our, our call to worship, I will have a dedication for the Advent Wreath, and then I'll light the Advent candle, which is much easier now. It's just uh, as easy as a twist of the wrist. And then we'll, we'll press on. <laughs> it's really nice. We were playing with it this morning and saying, this is fun. <laughs> I, I felt I was eight years old again as I was, I was <laughs> The call to worship comes to us from Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. The dry land which his hands have formed. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And the Lord is our God, and we are his people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Oh, that today you would listen to his voice. Now we go on to our dedication of new worship furnishings. Let us pray. 
Loving and most merciful God, we thank you once again for allowing us to be stewards of that which you have entrusted to us. This household of faith and all of its belongings are shared in common. We, for the seasons that we are here, engaged in service and in fellowship, are obliged to look after those items which are in the care of this household of faith. And as new contributions are made, we seek your blessing that they may continue to edify us and to contribute to our deepening of a life with you. Today we set before you a new Advent wreath, carefully prepared and constructed by one of our own, Bill Grady. And we ask, Lord, that you would look upon this Advent wreath with the same favor that you look upon everything in creation. At this Advent wreath, as we unveil it for a new Advent season, that it would help us to focus upon the preparation for your son who comes into the world. As each light is lit these next four weeks, may that light further illumine us into understanding exactly your act of grace and consecration for us. So we do by dedicate this Advent wreath in the service and church and love of God that it may continue to contribute to our deepening of our faith and our walk with Christ. Most loving God, without you, whose no word or works have meaning, accept this Advent wreath as symbols of our devotion. Grant us your blessing as we consecrate this wreath to your glory, that in using them, we may be strengthened in your service and rejoice evermore in the power of your Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And I want to thank Bill and Carol for her patience, because Carol's good sidekick. And as a matter of fact, we have to congratulate Mary. She is officially retired. She is. Your banking friend. You no longer have a friend at Central State anymore. <laughs> your, your friend has left the building. But, um, <laughs> but you can still find her here. Actually, we were having some, some pre-worship ramblings, as we usually do. And one of the things is, is that now Myron realized now that Mary's retired, he's, he's back to work. <laughs> She'll have some tasks for him. But I was just going to say to the Grady's that you can, you, can now, you can now give her some advice. It's like, okay, now here's, here's how you need to handle your, your life and cool down. Because everyone, everyone has this little transition space as you go from always having such a regimented schedule to sort of being able to write your own script. And we want Mary and Myron and Steve and everybody who've been recently retired to write a good script. And, uh, but you get a little help from your friends. That's what we're here for. All right, without further delay, are there any other additional announcements that we would like to lift up this morning? Do you want to mention anything about the cards? All right, we've got some of the young people in our church who are designing 
uh, cards. And when I say young people, I say children, because all of, all of us think we're young. It's like, well, I, I'm not designing any cards. No one called me. Uh, <laughs> really young people. Steve, do you have anything to say about the letters being written to the care center? Any update there? Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Wonderful. Anything, any, Marilyn? All right, then. I will let Marilyn do her thing. And now, as we prepare to light the Advent candle, I would like the, the Grady's to come up and, and, and stand by the wreath. They get first, they get first twist today. <laughs> All right. And this will be a, a dramatically uh, different feel from the lighting of the Advent candle in the past because half the time, Folks didn't really know how the lighters worked, and it's, sometimes it's like at the press and lock and the twist and the click and click and click, and then you're standing in front of the congregation and you're embarrassed and you're like, I, I usually know how to work lighters. Today, the Grady's will show you how easy it is that everyone will want a wreath like this in their own home. Today, as we begin our celebration of Advent, for these four Sundays leading up to Christmas, we rejoice in the great gift that is ours, Jesus Christ. To help us celebrate, we will be lighting the Advent candles of the wreath. The candles signify that Jesus is the light of the world 
Evergreens remind us that his life brings life to us. And these are arranged in a circle because life in Christ has no end. Each Sunday we will light an additional candle, then on Christmas Eve, however we're going to do that, we will light all the candles, including the center one and the Christ candle. We do this, we will rejoice that Christ has come to us, God Emmanuel, with us. So on this first Sunday, we light the candle of hope. See how easy that is? <laughs> hope is our assurance that God will finish all that he has started. Hope is our confidence that he will do what he has promised. All the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is our hope today and forever. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thank you. Let us pray. And you can keep the music rolling, Marilyn, I like that. Make me feel like an old-timey pastor. God of grace and glory, we thank you for the start of a new season. In this Advent season, we begin the cycle all over again, but this time at a very different place in our lives. This time, hope is not an academic principle that we just mull about. Hope has significant resonance this very moment. We hope and we long for things as we knew them, but to be revived and bolstered and wiser as a result of moving through this time and this season. So as we hope upon the light of Christ to enter into us and to dwell with us, we also hope that the word of God shall remain close to us, fortifying us, and giving us security and understanding that once again, we who knit ourselves with you will never be a people without possibility. May you bless and strengthen us now and always. In Jesus' name, amen. Almighty and everlasting God, whose will it is to restore all things in your well-beloved Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords, mercifully grant that the peoples of the earth, divided and enslaved by sin, may be freed and brought together under his most gracious rule, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. I should get like a swivel chair in the, in the pulpit so I can like swing around. <laughs> one, of those bar, one of those bar stools. It's kind of like in my, my turret. My turret dispensing grace. No, 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 no. <laughs> I had a good Thanksgiving. Fire it up. Still, still running off some of them calories. All right. As we burn calories together, let us prepare to receive the word that comes to us from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 64, verses 1 through 9. In this text, Isaiah is speaking on behalf of, I mean, he's a prophet, but this time the prophet is taking into context the position of the people. People have been recently repatriated back to their homeland. They 
they have a clue on how they're going to move forward, right? The, 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 the land has been ravaged and they need to rebuild again because all that they knew has passed away. So the prophet now is feeling, because of the, the people feel dejected, because they are feeling abandoned, the prophet speaks out and says, God, where are you? Where are you in this context? We need you to do something incredible. We need you to, to shake forth the heavens. Because unless we can see the reality of your strength and power, we're, we're going we're gonna to run amok. As we are feeling right now depleted and without guidance. So this is a very interesting reading in that it's a reading about hopefulness, but it's also seasoned with a bit of forcefulness that the prophet is actually making a strong appeal to God to reveal oneself in order that the people would come to feel bolstered and renewed and, and comforted by the, the presence, the awesome presence of God. A reading from the book of Isaiah. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, you make your name known to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down the mountains, quaked at your presence from ages past. No one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you. The works for those who wait for him, you meet those who gladly do right, who remember you in your ways, but you were angry and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf in our iniquities, like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O oh Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are our potter. We are all the works of your hands. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember the iniquity forever. Now consider that we are all your people. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Let us pray. Loving and most merciful God, you prepare us for the unexpected. Now, we do not always perceive that. But when the moment happens, when the event takes hold of us, we begin to realize as we reflect back on events past, certain conversations, certain experiences, we see that there indeed was a preparation that was taking place. And it reminds us of your consistency. Generations past have praised you and magnified you because of your consistency. It is not you who escapes us. You get lost in our shuffle. We find other things that take precedent, that become more important. 
we become too busy for you. And in those moments when you are kind and merciful and show us the error of our ways, it would be nice if we could just muster a thank you. So help us to find gratitude in the times when you save us from ourselves. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. May you bless, keep, and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the prophet Isaiah. Prophet Isaiah is speaking on behalf of, like I said, a, a dejected people. And there's a couple of instances in this passage which I find important for us to kind of key into. First of all is the perception that the prophet has that God is seemingly absent. Now we might find this at first, when we hear about it, we might find this is, this is strange. God seemingly absent. But how many of us in our own various walks of life have felt at some point that not only did nobody that we knew cared, but we almost felt that even God didn't care either. That we found ourselves in a particular rough patch Difficulty at work, difficulty in a relationship, health concerns. Right now we're living in an era of health concerns and we feel like God has just, God's letting this happen to me. God is absent. Not that God is dead. See, a dead God is a God that you, you can't blame. You can't blame the dead. You're like, well, they're gone. They're out of the picture. You blame the absent ones. The ones who are alive, that's who you blame. Why didn't they show up? Why didn't they say something? Why didn't they do something? They don't care. They're callous. Their hearts are hard. And so we have this prophet here who is saying, Lord, your people need you. Where have you been? You've brought us back to our homeland. It's, it's a mess. It's been ravaged by foreign nations and, and, and all that we held dear has been destroyed. And there's going to be some work involved to have to rebuild but it would be so much easier if we just knew that you were there, if we just knew that you cared about us. Just show us and give us a sign of your presence and that will revive us and renew us and then we can re-engage this work. So the prophet is actually indicting God and saying, can't you do the work like you did back in the days of old, back in the days of Moses, when you came down from the mountain? You came down from the lofty heights. You came down to be amongst your people. Moses was up on the mountaintop, and, and God's like, Moses, this conversation is great, but i got to interrupt you because the people have debased themselves, and you need to get down off this mountain and fix that mess. Moses is like, man, I'm up here. I'm, I'm, I'm up here. I'm, I'm high on the spirit. I'm hanging out with you in these tablets. This is great. And God's like, i got to interrupt this call. <laughs> Because the very people that I have brought out of bondage are acting fools. And I need you to be my messenger. So Isaiah's hearkening back to that time when the power of God came down off the mountain and settled upon the people. And even though when Moses came down off the mountain and he had to bring correction to the people and says, What's the, what, explain this golden calf. They go, uh, it was Aaron's idea. And they go, Aaron's like, you ratters. I didn't want to do this. You, you made me do this. <laughs> you know, and everyone's doing one of these. 
He's like, whose fault is it? The dead fault. <laughs> so even though that Moses came down and had to bring the correction of God, the people still felt like, well, this is good. At least God cares. At least we have God's attention. Right? Even though we have offended God, God still cares enough to send the very best in the form of a hallmark Moses who comes down and says, uh-uh-uh, don't do that. So now we have the prophet who's like, hey, can't we get a little bit of that spice back? Some of that old one-two punch? Because here we are, we're lost, we're alone, and you seem a little absent, you seem a little distant from us. And as a result of that, as a result of the perception that God does not care, the people have sort of wandered into their iniquity. The prophet says, we're not, we're not our best selves without you. And I, I, can relate, I can relate with that. If you go through life and you don't have an accountability to the divine, you make choices that are good for you, which may not necessarily be good for everybody those closest to you, those who live in your communities and your societies, but it's good for you at the moment and at the time. You may have speech and actions which do not necessarily, shall we say, promote the general well-being and welfare of the community. So God is the barometer upon which believers can conduct ourselves. We lay ourselves against the works of God and we go, ah, yes, God probably wouldn't do it this way. But when God is seemingly absent from us and we feel like God doesn't care because God has hidden the divine presence, we go back to making our own plans, patching it together the way that we think it might work. And Isaiah says as a result of that, the people wandered into transgressions. They weren't hospitable to one another. They didn't care about the general welfare of one another. They became depressed and greedy and self-absorbed. They unraveled. The community fragmented. Now what Isaiah would like is for God to return, but not to return with condemnation, not to return with judgment, but to return in such a way, because even though the people have been sinful, even though the people have been debased, even though they have made poor decisions, there is still a desire to be reshaped and renewed. Now let's think about this, let's think about this year that we've been having. Let's think about this year, right? Because I'm sure that during the course of this year, we have done and we have said things. We, we've lost our composure. We're tired of the rules. We're tired of these things. I know you're tired of these things. We have gotten to the point where it's like enough is enough. And maybe on the odd occasion, we haven't been our best selves. We've said some things. We've done some things that we're not so proud of lashed out, or we've just gone numb. We don't feel anything anymore at all. Either way, we understand where the prophet's coming from. Now, we might not want to admit that God is absent, 
But there have been pockets during the course of this year where I wouldn't say we were bosom friends. I would say that there have been aspects in this year where our faith not only was tested, but we began to sort of rethink this whole worship business. And not how we worship, but why. This has been a faith crisis year for a number of people. So if you have been feeling out of sorts, and I'll admit, I have. So in case you're saying, oh, he's just talking about us, but not him. He's, no, no, I'm much out of sorts. <laughs> much out of sorts this year. So that's good. Consider yourself in reasonable company. <laughs> but I can understand where the prophet is coming because I've had to go and reconfigure how to stay close to God in a time when the reasons for staying close to God have changed. See, it was easy to stay close to God when there was people around and you could sort of like have that sense of the blessing, the immediate blessing of community. Now that community has, has been skewed, and this year over a, a great many issues. It's not just so much the pandemic, but, but political issues, race and gender issues. There have been so many things now that have caused and exacerbated our, our polarity that our faith is really being tested. And we would like God to speak directly to these things. We would like our ministers to speak directly to these things, but we're very evasive. We're all one hair's breadth away from being politicians. So we have this sort of relationship with God that's not fully estranged, but not very robust either. So when the prophet says, why don't you tear open the heavens? Why don't you tear open the heavens and basically kind of grab us by the lapels and shake us and, and say, hey, I, I am still with you. So he calls out, he calls out to God to use the old potter's metaphor. He's like, okay, we've made some mistakes. Guilty as charged. We've said and done some things. We've wandered away from you. We stopped worshiping. We, we stopped worshiping. Worshiping is watching and worship in one word. You heard it here, folks. You heard it here. A new word has been born unto this day. Worshiping. It's going to be one of them mornings, isn't it? We stopped watching the worship videos. We tuned out because we got f pandemic fatigue. We got pandemic fatigue and the things that were really cool and gimmicky in the spring, not so much fun now as we get into the winter season. We're like, oh, I caught that show already. So we want, like the prophet, that the heavens would rip open and, and some new awareness would come and settle upon us in a very tangible and palpable way. So we use this, this metaphor of the potter. And I, who's worked with clay? Anyone? Anyone's ever, I'm not talking about like, you know, just, just even if it was like you took a little craft course or you had some modeling clay. Who has worked with clay? Come on, show of hands. Get your hands up there. All right. You know that clay is tricky business. And it's not the clay's fault that it doesn't look like you want it to look. <laughs> It, that's, it's all in the hands of the master. And when we were younger in third grade, as part of our art segment, teachers would 
handless modeling clay. It wasn't the kind that you would fire, just the kind that you just grease up your desk with. And they'd give us this, these little packets of clay, and we always thought it was so, so fun. Because you know what this was? It was the original fidget spinner. See, teachers were smart back in the day. They were like, we know these kids have active hands. We know they don't want to sit still. Let's, let's give them some clay and just let the little hands, you know, so that way they'll keep, they, they won't pull pigtails. They'll play with the clay. Then the clay gets in the pigtails, but that's the whole other story. You don't want to hear about that. So we're working this clay, and we're mashing it down, and rolling it out, and trying to, you know, making circles with it, and patties, and little balls. And as we're working with this, immediately our minds are like, wow, this great, wonderful, pliable substance that seems to take on the will of the master. You know, you roll it out, and it takes on this like, tube-like, and you bend it and shape it. And this is what Isaiah is saying. Isaiah is like, look, you, you left us alone, and we've become a mess. We've tied ourselves into knots. But we haven't been fired yet. We haven't been not fired in terms of like, get out! You know, not that kind of like the apprentice firing. No, the kind of firing we're talking about, we haven't been fired in a kiln. We haven't been set into stone. So Isaiah's like, God, there's still hope. We still, we still have hope that when you return, you will reshape us. You'll take us out of this mess. You'll take us out of this funk. You'll take us out of this, this foul mood that we've had. You'll take us out of our rejection. You'll take us out of this, it's not antipathy, it's apathy. It's this sort of just like, I don't feel anything, and you can't get me to feel anything, and I, blah. You can come in and remake us. We will be clay in your master's hands. See, that's where we are. That's where everyone is right now, whether they care to admit it or not. But this year has been one in which our clay is out of shape. And we long to be worked by the hands of the master, even if, even if the master chooses to make us ashtrays. Because that's usually one of the easiest things that you can make out of clay. I mean, we'd, you know, we'd, we'd like to be maybe a communion chalice. You know, we'd like to be promoted. But hey, I'll, I'll take an ashtray right now because I'm just a lump. That's, that's what I am. My, you know, this, this, this year has been so incredibly strange and obscure that the best my clay can manage is some sort of odd, imperceptible mass. But I have hope. I have hope that the heavens will rip open and God will come down and say, I can do something with that. I will do something with that. Pray, pray that God takes your misshapen, odd-shapen mass of clay and reworks it for the greater good. Because when we truly, and I don't know how long it's going to take, but when we truly pass through this really obscure time, we're going to be so much the wiser. See, I want to pass this on to you, because maybe, maybe you haven't been thinking about this. I don't want to return to the way things were. I want to enter into something better. When people say, oh, why can't we return to how things used to be? Well, they weren't that great. <laughs> Maybe we can improve on that. Maybe God can take this clay and make a vessel that we never envisioned, that we never imagined. Maybe there'll be hidden stores of patience and fortitude that 
we didn't have before, but then we weathered this storm. We, we came in through this year, and now all of a sudden, we're thinking and feeling a little differently. And when liberty finally comes and settles upon us again, we're going to have all this history of this year and the events that have transpired sort of in the bag, and that will now develop and shape our future faith framework. So the heavens will open, and God will return. God will not remain obscured, but we long for a God to return to us so we might be made anew, not the same. Do not wish, do not long for, do not pray for the same. Pray for improvement. As we enter into our fellowship of prayer, let us lift up the Corlett family. Olga Corlett passed away last week on Thursday, and she was longtime organist at First Lutheran Church and just a, a delightful personality. To be in Olga's company, it, I, I don't think I ever, I know I never heard a crossword from her or ever ever saw her without a smile. I mean, that, that takes some doing to be able to just radiate that sense of positive enthusiasm at, at every turn when, when we know that there was definitely some rain uh, that was in her life, but she was a light, not only to her family, but to this community. So we definitely send our, our prayers and our love to members of the Corlett family, vast as they are and to each and every one of us in McGregor who also mourns her passing. A lot of giants have been passing this year. Um, you know, I think of the Struts as well. And this is just, like I said, it's been a really obscure year. Let us pray. Loving and most merciful God, we turn to you, 
And maybe we've never felt disconnected from you. Kudos to us. We've always felt your hand of grace and mercy. We've been deeply connected to you. But I'm speaking on behalf of those who, who have had an Isaiah experience, who have felt that you have been obscured. And maybe you felt obscured because your institution and your representations have been at a distance. We have not been in our church space. We have not sung the hymns of faith in fellowship, in corporate fellowship. We just haven't been around those things that remind us of your contact. But maybe that's us deceiving ourselves because the objects of your devotion are never far from us. Bibles, devotionals, hymns of praise that are so embedded within our hearts, we know them by memory. But we can get out of sorts because we're out of practice. So we ask that you would tear the heavens open. It's a small request, but it's one that I know that you would honor if you understood how desperately we need it. This has been certainly a year for the record books, not just in our nation in particular, but certainly across the globe. It'll be the thing that people will talk about for generations to come. They still talk about the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. Not because there are many survivors of that who are still talking around and doing the memories, but they're laying a comparison between our time and that time. But the record of how people felt and how they acted will be so much more accurate now because everyone's leveraging their opinion. And this digital medium that we have, something, something will survive us. So there'll be a long record of the thoughts, the emotions, and the feelings of people around the globe as to how well we fared during this time. So it's very important that the heavens open up because we're not all managing as well as we should. If there hasn't been anger, there's been apathy. And either is bad for our complexion and our constitution. So may you return to the potter's wheel and shape us. We need your hands of grace to mold us into a new understanding, to remind us once again of your gospel that endures, to make us a people of hope. We can scarcely enter into the season of Advent, preparing ourselves for the arrival of your son if we have not hope. We can scarcely envision a day when this pandemic is no longer the leading story on every news station without hope. We can no longer move about freely, dare we say unmasked, without hope. And we cannot rebuild a community 
where we see one another as brothers and sisters and not as enemies in a never-ending contest without hope. We're in the business of hope. We haven't perfected it. That will never happen. But we do need to be dabblers, at least at an apprentice level, in being the kind of people who can hope for what does not yet exist, but we hold in our hearts that it could, that we pledge our commitment to seeing it transpire, that that will be our gift to ensuing generations. But we can't do this without you. It's just too lofty a task. So reveal yourself to us, God. Use whatever means that you have, whether it be a cataclysmic awakening or a very quiet whisper. Use your powers and your influence to renew and reshape us. We ask now, Lord, for your blessings to be upon the Corlett family as they mourn the passing of Olga. We thank you for her life and her substance. We thank you for her many gifts of music. She brought music to our hearts. Thank you for her uplifting and positive demeanor, radiating a sense of tomorrow through her smiles. And she had a wonderful smile. We ask that you be with those she leaves behind, not only her children, her brother Bob, that you would bear them up, each and every generation, all of her descendants. We thank you for her life and for her witness. We ask that you would grant her eternal rest and peace. And for those of us that she leaves behind, the indelible imprint of her memory that we could learn from her ways and live in a manner that's similar to hers, bring a little bit of rays of hope and enthusiasm and compliments into the lives of those we meet along the way. We pray for those who are sick and suffering. So many, so many sick and suffering. We ask, Lord, that you would bless the weary healthcare workers who are really being drawn thin right now. Not only are they, too, contracting the virus, but they, it, it's, just, it's just difficult. They're just played out. I mean, they have a job to do and they want to do it, but their strength is ebbing. Their patience, their nerves frayed, their families concerned. We get it. We understand. Some of them are in our families. We know the risks that they are taking. We know that we can't operate at this stress level indefinitely for any length of time. And here we are now, so many months into this. 
and things are really heating up. So bring strength to the bodies and minds of those who face COVID every day. Every day they see this, every day. Bear them up. That they would not let their composure slip. And watch over those who were laboring under this disease. And for those of us who are still in the world, help us to do the right thing, to be smart about our movement and our interactions so we don't become contributors to an already insidious situation. So we set before you the prayers of the people. They come before you just as they are, and we ask that you would receive all the prayers of your people in Jesus' name. Giving you thanks, Lord, for receiving these, the prayers of your people spoken unto you. We ask that you would collect them into your care. Remember us as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you to prepare your communion kits as I read our affirmation of faith. We covenant with the Lord and with one another and do bind ourselves in the presence of God to walk together in his holy ways. We will strive to be doers of the word and not hearers only, to be firm in faith, quickened in hope, and constant in charity. And we will consecrate our time, talent, substance, and influence as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he fought with his communion kit. <laughs> just, just telling you where I'm at. He took bread, he blessed it, he broke it. He offered it to his disciples and says, this is my body which has been given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. I'll play along in my imagination. <laughs> Likewise, they celebrated the cup. He says, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood shed for the remission of sins. Let us take the cup of salvation. As often as we eat of this bread and drink from this cup, would you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again? Let us pray. I'm giving you thanks, Lord, for forgiveness. It is this act of absolution that we do not take for granted. We do not take it lightly. 
We understand that you call us and you love us into change, and the gospel makes that possible. We know from years of living how exceedingly possible it is to make it through the day without the dark thoughts, the frustrations, the murmurs of disappointment that come so easy. And when we return to you, you help us to take stock of that self and say, hey, let's try something different. Let me show you a new path. And so your absolution is encouraging. It's refreshing. And we are grateful to have it. Thank you for making our sins past history and ushering us into a new and bright and hopeful future with Jesus as companion and guide. Amen. Please rise for the blessing. Loving and most merciful God, as we begin this new liturgical season, a season of hope, a season filled with anticipation, the arrival of the infant son to bring light into darkness. We have walked in darkness, not consistently, not all the time, but even the few pockets where we have found ourselves has been enough to open our hearts and redirect us to you. So we ask that your light will continue to fall upon us and strengthen us. May the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and grant you peace. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. God bless. Thank you.